Praise the Lord, everyone. Let's stand together and go to God in prayer. And let's ask the Lord to bless us all here this morning together. Amen. Let's everybody pray together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful Sunday morning that we can come to lift up your name, glorify you in all things, Jesus. We ask you to bless this Bible study here this morning. We ask you to bless the morning worship service. We ask you to touch our lives and our hearts, God, with your wonderful truth and the word of God. We glorify you in all things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice. Amen. God's people are the best looking people on earth. Praise God. And I was uh, out last Sunday and uh, back this Sunday. I think the previous Sunday before that I was out. I was out of town at that time. And uh, so it's sort of been sort of a hopscotch situation here in our Bible study series <clears throat> that we have going now, which is uh, in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is a very interesting book. And uh, we have talked about it before, how that it is one of the, the epistles that Paul wrote, epistle meaning letters. He was, it's one of the epistles or letters that he wrote to one of the churches, uh, which is Rome, the Roman church. Uh, stating and explaining things about how it's possible that we who are Gentiles can be saved. Of course, Paul was a Jew, but he wrote to the Gentile church. And he called himself, of course, the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, <clears throat> so he wrote in certain books. Romans was one of them, Ephesians another, Galatians another book, <clears throat> in which he spells out the... the uh, the concepts of Christianity and how it's possible that we can be saved. One of the reasons that he did that was because there was a group of Christians. They were, they were baptized and believers in Christ, but there were Christians who believed that were Jews, Jewish Christians who believed that the Gentiles had to go back under the law and to fulfill all the things of the law to become the Christians that they should be. And uh, even though the apostles, uh, I'm talking about James and, and uh, the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and also uh, Peter and all the other leaders, John, they all said, no, that is not the case. And the case is that simply that grace is sufficient. And they gave that permission to Paul. You preach to them. God's love and grace and the basic plan of salvation to them and uh, they don't have to go back and complete and fulfill the law. So we read a lot about that in Romans and these other epistles because Paul was having to straighten out some of those situations. Now we've talked about it and explained it a little bit further. Let me go in a little bit more detail before I go into the scriptures we're going to here right now this morning and that is that the uh, the biggest faction, and this was brought out in the book of Acts, the biggest faction among the Christian Jews that opposed Paul in just preaching the simple gospel of believe on the Lord uh, was the, uh, the Pharisees. They were Pharisees who had become Christians, and now they were, they were baptized in Jesus' name and had been filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, but they still held to some of those Phariseeistic views and ideas that they, that, that they had. 
uh, let me give you some background for it as to why they were the way they were. And this is what Jesus had to cope with when he came was the spirit of the Pharisees. But the, uh, whenever Israel went into captivity in Babylon and they were there for 70 years and then they were allowed to go back and rebuild their temple in Jerusalem and many Jews, of course, went back with, with them and they reestablished Israel as a nation they were always from that time on subject to a higher power. At that time, it was the media Persian Empire. Later, it became the Grecian Empire. Alexander the Great, when he came to power, uh, he began to romp and conquer and take over, and he just conquered the then known world. And uh, in, in uh, 330, he conquered the Persian Empire finally. And he became then the master of all the Persian, the old Persian Empire plus the Grecian Empire over all the Middle East. And uh, he was totally in control. Uh, he was a Macedonian who had spread Greek culture. Macedonia and Greece are right together. In fact, the city that Alexander the Great is from is actually now in Greece, but he was Macedonian and it was in Macedonia back then and so forth. And so he began to spread this, this culture. In 323 uh, B.C., Alexander the Great died. And he died, he just died seven years after he had conquered the world. And when he did, his kingdom was divided up into four parts. All of this is prophesied in Daniel that it would happen. And it was divided up into four parts. One part was down in Egypt. This is very important with what I'm going to talk to you about. It was down in Egypt, and Egypt... Uh, uh, it was uh, Libya and uh, Ethiopia. They were sort of tied together. And uh, he had four generals who each one took part of his empire, Alexander the Great's empire. Uh, the other one was Syria. He took Syrian empire, the Syrian empire, and it included, it included Iraq and, and Iran. And uh, another one was that of Turkey, what would, today would be Turkey. They took that one. The other one was that of Macedonian Greece where he originally came from. So these were the four generals and they took sort of hash it up among themselves. And then from that time on, uh, these, these generals, uh, would, they finally pass along to their heirs. And so there began to be dynasties in each one of these four parts, but they all had the Greek culture and they held fast to it. In uh, Alexandria, Egypt, for instance, they built the greatest library that had, had ever been known to, to, to the human race there in Alexandria, Alexandria, Egypt. And it was named after Alexandria. And it was a huge library that was there for hundreds of years and it was considered an educational learning center. And uh, so these, these sections and these divisions then created a situation where Israel was caught in the middle of it. Israel was between Syria and Egypt, Syria on its north side, Egypt on the south, just like it still is today. And uh, Israel, there Israel was, but uh, it was not controlled by that Greek culture. And what happened was that the Greek culture in Egypt and in Syria and in what is today Turkey and what would, was later to be, you know, what was now today, of course, Greece and Macedonia, that Greek culture began to expand and it was called Hellenism. And Hellenism was taking over the world. It was, uh, everything was about wisdom. The Greek philosophers, you know, Aristotle, Plato, uh, uh, and, uh, and different ones. 
they begin to come up with different ways of thinking and how to approach ideas and many things. And so they were all wrapped up in this thing about wisdom, getting wisdom. That's why Paul in his epistles many times, he says the Jews seek after sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. And uh, he went on talking about that often because that was the Greek culture. They also did the Olympics. Now, listen to me carefully on this. Every four years, they started the Olympics, you know, and so forth. In fact, their, their uh, calendar system, the, Greek, the old Greek calendar system, was, was set in order by the Olympics, how often they would be done every four years. They were called Olympiads. Olympiads was a segment of years, in four years, segments of four. And this is the way they uh, calculated, kept time of track of, uh, of history dates and so forth. And uh, so they had these Olympics. And these Olympics, these athletes, most of them were males. Women, women didn't participate in it. Most of them were males. And they got where they would, they would do all this stuff in the nude. Or they would do it in, uh, in, in scantily, very scantily clad clothes to show their muscles. And it almost became a male uh, uh, worship, a male body worship thing. So that they got in not only in the wisdom part, but they also got into this thing, and it was called Hellenism. And Hellenism began to sweep the world, and it began to affect the Jewish young men. And uh, the, the Jews became very, very worried about it. And they would try to turn the young men in, uh, in uh, Israel back away from this Hellenism because it was beginning to engulf things. Along about that same time, uh, Egypt and Syria got into a war with each other. And Egypt and Israel was in the crossfires. And uh, finally, there was a, a wicked king by the, uh, in Syria and, uh, in 160 BC, came down into Israel, and he just did some really wicked things. He uh, he offered pigs on the altar of sacrifice in the temple, and he desecrated the temple and just brought all these things. And that was an old priest that had four sons, and uh, his name was Maccabee, and he said, I'm not going to put up with this if we're going to fight back. And so they established what was called the Maccabees. This is, there's a book called the Mac Book of Maccabees that is, that is recorded between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, it tells all about how that these, this priest began to oppose this Hellenism and this, this Assyrian uh, onslaught of just overrunning the Jews. And they couldn't live like Jews. They couldn't be Jews. They couldn't keep the Jewish cultures and so forth. And, uh, and so they began to fight, and they fought, and they fought. Uh, the oldest one was named Judas, which was, a, which was a sort of a New Testament name for Judah, we know of Judas is carried, but it was sort of a New Testament name for Judah. And anyhow, Judas led the, led, led the people, and then finally he was killed in battle. And then later there was another one, and then another one, that finally John was the youngest one he led in battle. And they fought and resisted this Hellenism. And these men who, would, who came in under that influence made up their minds that they would always stand for the law and that Old Testament teachings of Moses. So that when Jesus came, it had been watered down, not from the physical fight, but from the mindset that we do not deviate from Moses' law no matter what. You understand what I'm saying here? So that when Jesus came, the Pharisees was in opposition of Jesus. They, uh, first of all, they rejected him as the Messiah. 
but they wouldn't believe anything he had to say because they had this mindset. The other group was the Pharisees. They were a more liberal group. The Pharisees, uh, they, they, they tried to stay in harmony with the Romans and, and Roman leaders would put certain ones in office and make him a governor and make him a, this, give him positions and so forth. And so they sort of hobnob with the, with the elite and they did not maintain that, but the Pharisees were very strict in their beliefs. Paul, the apostle Paul, before he was converted, when he was still a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, very strict in that Old Testament thought and so forth. And uh, others as well, Josephus was a Pharisee for a short time. Many of you are familiar with the book of Josephus. But uh, anyhow, these, these conditions and things prevail so that whenever the Jesus came along and finally there were Pharisees that finally said, okay, we believe we are going to be saved. And this is brought out, of course, in the book of Acts. I won't go back into that anymore. We've talked about it already. But these Pharisees, many of them, they became saved. They became Christian. They baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to live for God and walk with God. They became devout Christians. But they held fast to that Old Testament law as though it had been just put into them with great force and power until they felt like that if they stepped away from the concepts of the Old Testament, circumcision was necessary. It had to be complete. It had to be acted out. Uh, they had to uh, keep certain laws and ordinances in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the New Testament through the Spirit of the Lord and through grace that the Lord had brought and so forth. So I'm giving you a little background on this. And this is what Paul had to deal with whenever he got saved. When Paul received the Holy Ghost and when he was baptized and received the Holy Ghost, Paul went into the wilderness of the, of the Arabian desert and there he studied the word and the Lord dealt with him for three years. Paul was by himself studying the word and trying to connect all the dots because he realized when the Lord smote him down on that road to Damascus in the eighth, ninth chapter of the book of Acts, he realized that he had been out of touch with God somehow or another. But yet he thought, I've been in perfect touch with God. You know, I have been real strict and devout. He had said under Gamaliel's teaching, very smart, very brilliant man, was known all over. He was called Saul back then. And whenever he was smitten by the Lord and knocked down and blinded and finally Ananias, the prophet, prayed for him and his eyes came back and Ananias baptized him and so forth. Washington, and the Bible talks about his sins being washed away when he was baptized. Then Paul went into the Arabian desert and there he studied the word and the Lord spoke to him, taught him, and opened his understanding to all these things. And he had a completely change of mind and attitude. He understood then that the law was until grace, until grace, and that Jesus Christ came to bring grace. Now, Jesus' prophecy, uh, Jesus' coming was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want to read this verse of scripture to you, then I'm going to read some verses in Romans, and we're going to uh, get more into our lesson here. But in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, I want you to look at these verses here. Uh, this is where the Lord is talking to Moses about Jesus' coming. He's prophesying about the Messiah. And the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren. This is uh, Deuteronomy uh, 18, 15. He will raise up a prophet from amidst among the of the of thy brethren, like unto me. This is I'm sorry. This is Moses talking to the people of Israel. 
uh, unto him ye shall hearken unto him. Whatever he says, you are to listen to him. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, and this was all based on the fact that the children of Israel had first received the law, 10 commandments spoken from God from heaven. And they said it scared them to death. And they said, Lord, don't talk to us no more. They said to Moses, tell God, don't talk to us no more. It scares us to death. We don't want to hear directly. Let him tell you and you tell us. Okay. So this is what he refers to then in that 16th verse. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb, that was the mountain they went up on Mount. Horeb was part of Mount Sinai. In the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. They were fearful of that. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. The Lord will says the people made the decision for me not to talk directly to them. So I'm going to speak to you, Moses, and you tell them, and they have to listen to you. And so when Jesus came, it would be the same way. Do you understand what we're saying? And the Lord said that right here. So he says, when this prophet comes, he's going to speak, and you have to listen to him. Just like you had to listen to Moses, you have to listen to him. Now, this was in the Old Testament scriptures, and every Jew knew it was there or should have known it was there. Every Pharisees especially since they felt, they felt themselves to be very religious. Uh, and it says in the 18th verse, and I will raise them up a prophet, he repeats it now, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, speaking now to Moses, God speaking to Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and this is referring to Jesus Christ, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And then the 19th verse says, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. All right, so uh, what is being said there is that I'm going to send a prophet one day, and that prophet, of course, was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not only the Messiah, he was a prophet as well. He was everything. And uh, whenever he would come and he came to Israel, they would have to listen to him because he would now be the fulfillment or the completion of what Moses did and what Moses started out doing so that they were to listen. Well, the Pharisees had a hard time accepting him as the Messiah. The Sadducees had a hard time accepting him. And in doing that, that generation of Jews in Israel lost out with God. Only the church that was, who were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit and followed the teachings of Christ, only they were saved. And they were saved. Now, I want to read a passage of Scripture because in the book of Romans here, Paul here is dealing with this situation about obeying the law, keeping the law, what's the purpose of the law, trying to explain to these people how the law works with grace. Everybody still with me? All right, look at the fifth chapter now, the 12th verse. We are, we've been going through the book of Romans here. We're in the fifth chapter. Look at 12th verse. Wherefore... As by one man sin entered into the world, speaking of Adam, and death by sin, so that death was the consequences of Adam's sin, and it fell upon all the human race, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, all have sinned. Now, having said that part about all have sinned there, um, look back over just for a second in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Romans 3, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Some people think they can get to, get to heaven on their good merits, just being a good person. It, it'll never work that way. We were all born under sin. And uh, sin is in that we have original sin upon us, even besides the sins we commit in life as we go through life. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's in the third chapter. I'm just reaffirming what is brought out here in this, in the latter part of this 12th verse here in chapter 5. For that all have sinned and they've all come short of the glory of God. Now, here's an interesting thing, and this is brought out in the next verse. Stay with me on this one. I don't want to lose you here. Look at the 13th verse. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, the sins that were upon the human race was not charged against them as long as there was no knowledge that they were sinning. It's like, uh, let me say it like this. Uh, It was like, uh, you say, let's say I'm speeding down the highway and everything, and the police pull me over and said, hey, you were going... You're going 85 miles an hour and the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. You're going 85, you're breaking the speed limit, everything. Uh, and there is no law against going over that. There is a law, incidentally, don't do it. There is a law. I think in Germany in the Autobahn, they say there, there's no, no speed limit on some of the Autobahns. And uh, I, I don't know. I'll just go by what they, they say. But nevertheless, uh, is, suppose there was no law. Well, somebody couldn't say, well, you broke the law. How could you break the law when there was no law? You see what I'm saying? And so it doesn't mean you were innocent. It meant that you were guilty of going too fast, yes. But it meant that it was not imputed against that person. It could not be held chargeable to them. I'm just giving that as an illustration. Now, that same thought is mentioned over in Romans 4, 15. I'm in 5, 12, 5, 13. In 4, 15, it says, because the law worketh wrath... For where no law is, there is no transgression. The same thing. So what I'm simply bringing out here is that the scriptures here tell us that it was not imputed to man as long as there was just the law. There was, just, just, there was no law. But when law came, it began to make us to understand that it was a more serious situation than that. Indeed. Praise God. Now... Uh, I'm going to go to Romans 7 for a moment, and uh, here's the answer to all of this. If you go to Romans 7 for a moment, and uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Look at verse 7, 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is this, this law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. So with the law of God of the Old Testament, this is, this is Paul speaking now, and he's trying to help the people to understand the purpose and the value of the Old Testament law. What the law did was to let us understand what was bad so that we are without excuse, you know, and he was letting them know that. Uh, you say, Brother Myers, why is this important to us today? It was maybe important to them back then. Why is it today? Because Ironically, there are people today who still think we should go back under the law and, and fulfill all things. You know, I'm going to give you some scriptures on that in a few moments. But they think we should still obey some of the law. 
And yet the Bible tells us very clearly, and Paul tried to explain it very simply, that much of the law is fulfilled by grace. When the Lord brought grace, he brought his spirit. And with that spirit, praise the Lord, the law becomes, uh, the spirit becomes a law unto us in our hearts so that we do it uh, through, the, through the teachings of the Lord. And I'll explain to you in a few minutes why we even do compare to the, refer to the Old Testament. Look, let's look at this seventh verse. What shall we say then is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Down in verse 12, this is 712. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. So the law is good, yes. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, that it might be seen by us as sin, that we may have something to measure it by, uh, to a backdrop for it, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful, that I might know when that something really is bad and God really dislikes it, and therefore to please God, I would want to try to do something entirely different and absolutely change and get away from that. Now, uh, the scripture in Galatians, and I think I read to this a couple of weeks ago, but I'll read it, this small verse. It says here in Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. In other words, the law had its purpose and its, its place in our lives. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, but we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, notice here baptism is part of this faith process, baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Let me just add this for what it's worth. We put on Christ by being baptized and we have Christ on us and we have Christ in us by receiving his spirit. When we receive his spirit, the Holy Spirit, when you receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, there's only one spirit by which we're all baptized into one body. That Holy Spirit, when it's in us, Christ is in us. And whenever we're baptized, then we are in Christ. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise the Lord. So uh, I'm just pointing out to you here these, these concepts here and understanding here. Uh, and that uh, the purpose of the law, excuse me. <coughs> now, uh, let me show you something in the scriptures here. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, he brought grace. Grace came to the world. Thank God for the grace of God. You know what the grace of God is? It's the unearned favor of God, unmerited favor of God upon us. That means we have not earned it, we don't deserve it, we have no right to it, but because of God's just wonderful love and mercy and kindness and goodness, he has extended to us the grace of God. And by the grace of God, we are saved. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, through faith. Our faith is our response to God's grace. God loves us, he cares about us, he wants us to be saved. He tells us what we have to do to be saved. And we respond to that by doing that, praise God. And so the scripture teaches us that. I'm going to read this verse of scripture here in John 1:17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John's writings in the first chapter of John. In the 14th verse, he also says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when Jesus Christ came, folks, he was our grace, he was our grace, and he was our truth, and he was everything, praise the Lord, that we needed to be saved, and the Lord leads and guides us. So the coming of Jesus then gave us this wonderful grace of God that was prophesied in the Old Testament all through the scriptures, numerous verses about the Messiah's coming, and when he would come, he would bring grace. What I'm pointing out to you here, this is what Paul was dealing with in his day, and what we still deal with a lot in our own day, is that the Old Testament, praise the Lord, is fulfilled by the grace of God, God's grace. Grace is Calvary. Jesus going to Calvary, dying on the cross for our sins, that's the grace of God. The blood that was shed that purchased our salvation. The blood was the price. It was the, the atonement that was the price paid. That, praise the Lord, is the grace of God. God's love toward us, the moving of his spirit toward us. How many of you, I don't know if I should ask for a show, I will, I'll ask for a show of hands. How many of you remember when you maybe first time or second time or sometime in your first visit to a church, Pentecostal church or sometime in your life in a worship service, you felt the presence of the Lord and you had no, yeah, there's all kind of hands and I did. You, did, you came to church and, and you were just sitting there, you know, and you're just, just observing maybe or you're watching the show and you know, all they say, you know, just watching people worship God, but you feel something. Now, what is that? That is the grace of God working on us. That's the spirit of God working. But that is God's grace and his love and working toward us and saying to us, I want you to be saved. I want to save you. Praise God. And so this is what the grace of God is all about. And the grace of God is a great and powerful thing and a wonderful thing that God gives us. Now, uh, I want to bring out something to you because there are those who would pervert this wonderful grace of God. They would pervert it. And they would say, oh, no, no, we've got to be like the Pharisees. We've got to go back and pick up things of the law. Let me give you some verses of Scripture. Everybody stay with me. Uh, go to Galatians, if you would, uh, chapter 1, Galatians 1. Look at this verse of Scripture with us. I'm going to read 1.6. And this is where Paul was writing to the Galatians who themselves were were being trying, they were trying to pervert them and get them back into the, under the law. There were Jewish Christians who went up there, followed Paul and other disciples that had converted these Gentiles and they had converted. They didn't, it wasn't a thing like, you know, you got to lay down sin. You got to don't commit adultery and don't, uh, don't uh, commit fornication and don't lie and steal. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was go back under the law and do the works of the law. You know, keep the law and so forth. And here's what Paul says here in Galatians 1, 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into grace of Christ into another gospel. In other words, you've gone into something else, not that that you were originally in. You're removed from that. He said, which is not another, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So anything that leads us away from the basic truth of the teachings of Christ is a perversion. It goes on to say, 
But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have, we preach unto you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it in the ninth verse, as we said before, so say I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you uh, than that that ye have received, let him be accursed. He was saying that what I preached unto you is the way it is, and it'll always stand that way because God doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what Paul preached unto them it's very easy to understand. You go to the, we, we won't do it now, but we can go to the 19th chapter of the book of Acts where Paul went to Ephesus and found certain disciples of John who had been baptized unto repentance. And he said, uh, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, they said, we don't even know about the Lord. We don't know anything. They said, how are you baptized? He said, we're baptized into John's baptism. Paul said, then John baptized unto repentance saying that they were to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized because baptism was an act of believing. Praise the Lord. And so they were baptized in Jesus' name. Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. This was Paul's gospel. You understand what I'm saying? It's the same thing that Peter's gospel was, that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. You know, you repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. The same gospel that Peter preached to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And that was that they were to be baptized in Jesus' name. And, of course, those Gentile Cornelius' household in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, they were all baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. I'm just telling you all of that. Tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost. That's why I'm telling you that. Because what, it, what happened here was that these Galatians here had strayed away from it and they were saying, oh, now you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to go back and you've got to pick up this part of the law and the Old Testament and so forth and, it was, and none of that was very true. Um, over in Galatians 3, 1, this is where Paul continues talking to these Galatians about their, their acts and look very closely at this. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently set, been evidently set forth. Uh, evidently meaning with evidence, with evidence of whom Jesus was set before you with evidence of who he was, that he was the Messiah. And uh, that he's been set before you. Verse two, this only would I learn of you, receive ye the spirit by the works of the law? Did you get the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Did you get that by obeying the works of the law, you Gentiles? You never commit, you never obeyed the law of Moses. But you receive the Holy Ghost. You understand what I'm saying? And this is what Paul was reasoning with them. You receive the Holy Ghost without having to do the works of the law. So how is that possible if the law is essential and the law is necessary? Why didn't God require it of it before he gave you the Spirit? And so he said, receive you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And of course, he goes on to say in verse 3, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit begun in the spirit to live for God, to walk with God, to serve the Lord, the spirit being the Holy Ghost upon you. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh or going back and fulfilling that Old Testament law, which were acts of flesh, the acts of the flesh. Then he goes on to say uh, down in verse five, uh, he therefore that ministers unto you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, if... And, and I'm saying all this for a purpose, for a reason, because there are people who, can, who will get saved sometimes and they'll go back and they'll think, you know what, I got to go back and somebody talks them into something. You've got to complete some of the acts of the law. 
You, you've got to, you got to worship on the seventh day. I'll, we'll talk about that in a few moments. You've got to work on the seventh day. The seventh day is the Sabbath, not the first day of the week, not, not Sunday. And everything else, oh, okay, we've got to go back and do that. Or, or you, you can't eat certain meats anymore. You can't eat catfish, you can't eat pork, can't eat lobster, can't eat shrimp. Forget all that, you've got to eat just filleted fish, you know, certain kinds of fish. And so forth. And so they go back under the law because under the law, that's what was required of the Jews under the law, you know. And so I'm just saying here that there are those who start out in the spirit, start out in the church and the body of Christ, and then they wander off into these other things. And then they start saying, oh, there's more yet to come. You know, no, no, no. If you receive the spirit of God and you've got the Holy Ghost in you and you're walking with the Lord and you're living a holy life and clean before God, praise the Lord, there's no reason to go back and try to keep the law. And, and Paul talks about all of that, you know, he talks about it. So he goes on to say here in this verse, uh, he says here, I'm reading here in verse five, he said, among you doth, doth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse seven, know ye therefore that they which are of faith are the children of Abraham. So we're the children of Abraham, not through uh, the flesh, but through faith, because he's the father of faith. We're the children of faith. And this statement about being the children of Abraham or the seed of Abraham or of Abraham is found several places in the, in the epistles where Paul refers to all of that. I'm going to read one other verse here. This is in 4 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? And then he usually refers to one thing here. Ye observe days and months and times and years. In other words, you go back to trying to keep all of the feast days and the holidays of that Old Testament, which was really Israel's requirement from God because he had brought them out of Egypt and it was connected with Israel only into their land that they went into. And so all of these things he was saying to them, he said these things that, and so there are certain people that would, pervert the word of God, and uh, they would try to say, no, this is what we should do, this is how we should do here, and so forth. Uh, let, me, uh, let me give you a scripture here in Romans 14 a moment. Just saying, let me show you this. Let me show you this one, 14.2. I'm going to read this verse of scripture. He's talking about Paul's talking about people who try to get us to go back and eat certain meats and, and live. I know there's a, there's, a, there's a guy that was in this church for a while, and then now he's gone off, and, he's all, and now he keeps contacting people. You know, they got cell phone nowadays, and they contact me. Oh, you got to get back to the law. you got to obey the law. And yet the Bible is so plain on it. When you've got the Spirit and you've got the Holy Ghost, you don't need to go back under the law. Look, at, I'm going to read this to you. This is Romans 14, 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things. That's me, you, you know. You like lobster? I eat all you want. I'm serious. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Some of them don't believe you should eat any kind of meat. I ain't sure the 18th chapter of Genesis where the Lord sat down with Abraham and ate, ate a calf, ate beef, you know, beef for dinner. <laughs> God Almighty was an angelic one with two other angels. They sat down and ate beef with Abraham. I can show you the Bible where Jesus ate fish. Amen, that's meat. All right, let me finish up this verse. 
Verse 3, let not man that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. In other words, don't, you know. Now look at verse 5. This has to do with the days. One man esteemeth one day above another. And they say, it's got to be the seventh day. It's got to be the seventh day. It's got to be the seventh day. No, it doesn't. And I can show you in the scriptures where that the early church and, 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 and people who do believe in the Sabbath, I have no problem with it. God bless them. Many of them, are, I mean, I, I know a lot of them. They're good friends of mine, and they're wonderful people. But I'm just saying this doctrinal truth doesn't mean that we have to do it, you know. I asked one, one fellow one time, I said, do I have to worship on the seventh day to be saved? He says, no. I said, then fine, leave me alone. I'm, I'm happy the way I am. If I don't have to have to do it to be saved. So uh, it's not, but some people say, oh, yes, you do. You have to do that to be saved, you know. So one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike, which is what we do. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, and he goes back now to the eating part of it. He that eateth, eateth to the, uh, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. For he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. And so what he's pointing out simply here is that it's not, uh, it doesn't matter with God what you eat or what day it is. And then this verse of scripture that's found over in Romans chapter, uh, same chapter of the Romans 17, verse 17. It's the, uh, uh, it's the 14th chapter and verse 17. For the kingdom of God, and that's what the church is, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That's not what it's all about. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's why, folks, you want the Spirit of God. You want the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go back and fulfill the law and complete the law and obey the law and so forth. Uh, it says over down in verse 20, for meat destroyeth not the work of God. In other words, whatever kind of meat you eat. So uh, I'm just saying here that Paul was saying to the people, eat whatever you want to eat, but anybody that doesn't believe that, don't bother us. Just, you know, don't judge somebody else. If you want to hang on to that, go ahead. That's fine. If you want to stick with a certain day to worship, go ahead. That's fine. But we who understand, we know that God does not esteem one day higher than another. Praise God. And he lays all these things out to them. Uh, look in Colossians a moment. I know my time is getting away and I got to wrap this up. Look over in the book of Colossians. Uh, I think it's. Uh, yeah, where is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Now it's in uh, Colossians 2.16. Colossians 2.16. Here we go. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. This is another scripture that Paul wrote in Colossians, not Romans this time. Let no man therefore judge you or not in, uh, in, in Galatians either. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath. And he, he states that here emphatically. And then to finalize this part and just wrap it all up here, he says over here in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, 
why are you saying all this, Brother Myers? Because I want to give you a lot of scriptures to understand this is not just a little, a little statement, slight statement. It is emphatically in the Bible. And so in chapter 4 and verse 3, for, he says there will be those who will come, in verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and that did happen, that did happen, forbidding Mary and commanding, notice that, commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. That's why we pray before we eat and always say, God, sanctify the food. Praise the Lord. We, I don't care what it is, it's sanctified when you pray. And it says it right here. I got, we have Bible. I have Bible here for it, you know. So I, can, I trust in that. Every, uh, so for every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused. For it is re received with thanksgiving. Verse 5, for it is uh, sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Praise God. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that these scriptures are all given to us that we might understand and might know that the Lord, praise the Lord, has given us the right to meet, worship in a holy day. When somebody says, oh, you've got to worship on the seventh day now. Oh, oh you, you can't eat certain meats and so forth. No, no, no. The Bible is too plain and too clear. I want to close with this, and I've got just a couple of minutes here. Uh, what is the purpose then of the law? Why did God give us the law in the New Testament? To us today, what's the purpose then of the Old Testament? And let me just give you a couple of scriptures on it, and we'll wrap this up then. Uh, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians, if you would, for a moment. 1 Corinthians, uh, go to Romans 15. Let's do that one. Sorry, I keep our folks up there jumping around. Look in 15.4. Uh, 15.4. 15, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. This is why they are there. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Paul is saying the, thing, the purpose of the law, and he's going back in Romans here where he's talking about the purpose of the law. It's to give us hope and it's to give us learning and that we might understand a lot of things that perhaps we do not understand. I'm reading also in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 6, it says here, Now these things uh, were our examples, or ensamples, as the word says here. It means examples. These were given as our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they, that is the, the Jews of the Old Testament, lusted after. And then he goes on and talks about it down to verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for ensamples, or examples, and they are written for our admonitions upon whom the end of the world are come. And these things are, are put here to tell us what we should do, what we shouldn't do as examples. So the Old Testament, all the actions of the Jews are examples to us. I was preaching here sometime back, uh, not here, somewhere else I think it was, and I, and I referred to this. I said, when Israel went into Canaan's land, the Lord said, drive out the heathen. Drive out the heathen and drive out the heathen and the land should be yours. But they never drove out the heathen. They allowed certain different ones, little pockets here and there to remain. And they were a plague and a torment to Israel, all Israel's existence in the Old Testament. You read, you read about it there because they never completely did what God told them to do. Now, how, what's that got to do with us today? 
For you and I, when we get saved, we come to the Lord, there are things we have to give up. Some of us have to give up drinking. Some of us got to give up drugs. Somebody else has to give up, you know, porno. I'm just, you know, I'm just plain, speaking plain here. Somebody else has got to just give up bars and honky-tonk or whatever it is. I'm old-fashioned. I use old names. Places, nightclubs, what they call clubs that you may go to, you have to give them up. But if you don't, if you say, oh, well, I'm just going to keep a little bit here. I'm going to drink. I'm going to have a, a beer in the end of the day anyhow, you know. I'm not going to give up my alcohol totally. You know what I mean? And you allow that to remain in your life. It'll always be there to give you trouble as long as you try to walk with God. You understand what I'm saying? Now, that's the ensample or the example that I'm giving you that, that, Moses, that Paul talked about, that we take the Old Testament. Just, just like, for instance, uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. We didn't, when we got saved, we didn't come out of Egypt, but we came out of the world. So just as they had to leave Egypt behind and leave it all behind and come out from it, we have to come out of the world and leave the world out there. Amen. I'm talking about the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age, and all the stuff that, that they throw. So that we come to the Lord, that we can walk with Christ, and we can receive his love, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, and all the things that God has for us, praise the Lord, in this life that is over and above all of that stuff that is out there in sin. Amen. Aren't you glad you know the Lord? Aren't you glad for his word and his truth? Let's stand together and let's lift our hands and praise him and worship him together. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for your blessings and goodness, God. We thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful class today. We ask you to bless our morning service, touch our lives and hearts. We thank you for your presence and power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.